We're going to be opening the Bible and reading Proverbs chapter 9. And then after that, we're going to read from Psalm 73. So these are chapters from the wisdom literature of Scripture. Psalm 73 happens to be my favorite psalm, so I'm very excited anytime I get to talk about it. But Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman, folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So that's Proverbs 9, and now let's go to Psalm 73. I realize this is on the screen, but um, if you do have a Bible with you, it'll be helpful to have it open to Psalm 73 as we work through this. This is the psalm of Asaph, it says, above verse 1, and then God's word. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, that their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So brothers and sisters and boys and girls um, and guests, uh, Proverbs is, you could split it up into a couple different sections. And Proverbs 9, which we just read, um, forms the conclusion to the first section of the collection of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 10 and onward is, is filled with these short proverbial statements. They're all like one verse, two lines, um, little Proverbs about life. But Proverbs 1 to 9 was more of a story. It's, it's more of a, a narrative um, with the father teaching his son about the way of wisdom. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction is a a common phrase there, a bit more of a story. So we read Proverbs 9, and Proverbs 9 verse 1 said, wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. And then we have this picture of these two feasts, one from the lady wisdom, one from lady folly. It's like two ways of life. That's what that's, what's being represented there. And the point of Proverbs 9 verse 1 is to say, these pillars are, are, have been hewn, this house has been built. In other words, the way of wisdom has been established. Well, what is that way? In short, it's the way of life. Wisdom, as we discover, as we go through the Proverbs, you can see this from the very beginning in chapter 1, is a skill. Wisdom is the skill of living well. So then to be wise is actually to be able to expertly navigate through all the challenges that this life presents us. I'm not sure if you've thought of wisdom that, that way, but that would be, I believe, the best way to see it to expertly navigate through the challenges this life presents us. To be wise is to be self-controlled. This summer I've been working through the Proverbs in a series uh, in our church, Learning Wisdom, we titled it, and we saw the need to be self-controlled when it comes to our sexual desires, the need to be self-controlled when it comes to anger, also alcohol. And we saw this all as opposed to the way of the fool, there's another thing that Proverbs shows us. Proverbs shows us the importance of parenting and the instruction that parents give, the good instruction they can give to their children. They show wisdom. Parents, you show wisdom when you give good instruction to your children. And children show wisdom, boys and girls listening now, right? Children show wisdom in accepting that instruction from their parents in a right manner. Now, maybe we, I don't know if we can do a show of hands, but from the, the kids here, the boys and girls, how many of you enjoy it when your parents give you corrective instruction, when they tell you this is what you should do or shouldn't do, this is how you're doing it? How, how many of you? Okay. It, it's, a, it's not the most fun to be corrected. 
the adults in the room? How many of you enjoy being corrected? Huh? There's a couple, couple hands, maybe one actually. But um, Proverbs 9 verse 8 said, reprove a wise man. It's kind of like, it's a pretty strong word, reprove. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. He will love you. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man, or wise person we could say, and he will, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Right? There's this great benefit to being reproved, corrected. The wise person sees that. Well, as we're thinking about wisdom and who is the wise man, ultimately Jesus is the wise man. Uh, that's shown in his words and his actions as we see it throughout his life and his ministry. We have the Spirit of God. What a blessing that gift is. But Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure. Of course, he is God. This is why he has the Spirit without measure. But, but he has him in fullness, that is. We see that throughout his life, throughout his living and his dying. We see what he did for us, don't we? That Jesus pursued the most excellent way, the way of love. And through that obtained for us the gift of life. He is the fountain of all wisdom. He's the fountain or the source of all life. There's a wonderful scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. That's a, that's a contrast, a profound contrast you can spend a lot of time reflecting on. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Jesus' spirit in us, his life in us, is how we become wise. As we say no to the desires of the sinful nature and we say yes to the way of the Spirit, then that, that work of the Spirit produces something in us. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. Things like wisdom and righteousness and peace. And so this is some gospel proclamation. This is some good instruction about wisdom at the beginning of this message. We, I presented this to you. I've seen you nodding with me. But there's an alternate view to what I've just said. And the alternative to what I just said is, that's crazy. Somebody could scoff at the description of wisdom that I've just given. Why limit your desires when it comes to your sexual desires? Why not indulge? When it comes to anger, why not just let it out whatever you feel like, however you feel like? When it comes to alcohol, if you want to drink, why wouldn't you go for it? Pursue these desires. This is where life is found. And correction, reproof, don't accept that so easily. Where's the fun in that? And this is the scoffer described in Proverbs 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. You hear the contrast? Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. And so this is the way of the fool, then, according to God's word, which is the way of death. But is that really true? Proverbs 9, verse 11 says, For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Is it really true that life is found in pursuing wisdom, the way of God? Because it doesn't always appear to be true. So another way to frame this as a question is, how can I be wise, ask yourself this, how can I be wise when everything seems to be falling apart? And that's the question I think that Psalm 73 
is addressing as we explore this morning wisdom after the ideal Proverbs of the collection of Proverbs, after those idyllic principles, we look at the reality. And we're going to see that the answer to this challenge, this question, is found in Jesus, who is the beginning and end of all wisdom. So Psalm 73, at the very beginning, verse 1, has a statement of belief. It has a confession of faith. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's how the psalm begins. That's the truth as God has revealed it. It's the truth as the teachers of Israel have taught it to the people. And then it's the truth as those people have received it and learned it. God is good. We see this in creation. We also see this in his actions toward his people, his covenant people here in this psalm, Israel. God is so good. I think of Psalm 145 when I think of the goodness of God. Uh, I used part of that for the call to worship earlier. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. His goodness is abundant and worthy of fame. He is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. He upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. He gives food in due season and satisfies the desires of every living thing. So God is good. He's good as our creator. We heard that in the prayer, uh, congregational prayer as well this morning. Some adoration to God for this beautiful world that he's given to us. And that song, song we sang as well, hymn 78, praise to the, the Lord, right? The God of all creation who gives us all of these things, who does all of this for us. God is good. Specifically, God is good to those who are pure in heart. That's what it says. Our calling is to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all that is within us. Now, there's nobody who's completely righteous, nobody who's completely pure in heart, but we do love Him, don't we, as His people? And we do strive to do His will. We are righteous in Christ. And there is a way even we can be considered the righteous then, relatively speaking. God has promised good things to us. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So we seek to follow Him. We expect good things from Him. That's the starting point in this psalm, and that's the starting point for us in this message as well. We confess God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Or we confess along with Romans 8, I, I believe that God works out all things for the good of those who love me or who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So this is our confession. But those who are worldly react negatively to this kind of thinking. Back to the challenge challenge of the world. Follow him. Look to him with complete dependence. No thanks. I'll take care of myself, thank you very much. I'll create my own good by doing things my own way. That's kind of a more worldly, independent, man-centered view. And, and to a certain degree, that works. To a certain degree, some people who say this are successful. They're prosperous. Verse 3 speaks of the prosperity of the wicked. And that's described in, in verse 4. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Or verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Now maybe you find that language a little interesting, a little weird, maybe. Uh, children, I can imagine that you're thinking of somebody with massive eyes swelling out of their face, and maybe you're a little grossed out by that as you think about it. But the point is, this is a person who has lots, who has abundance. It's just a vivid picture of a well-fed, cared-for person. Verse 5, 
They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. What we have before us is a picture of easy living, carefree living. And verse 12, the sum of it, of the first section of this psalm, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Easy living, wealthy living, prosperous, successful living. And so, verse 6, therefore, how are they? Prideful. Pride is their necklace. And also violent. Violence covers them as a garment. They pursue violence when they feel like it, just because they can. And verse 7 and 8, they scoff. Their hearts overflow with follies, verse 7, verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They're speaking foolishly, maliciously, oppressively. And I think most of all characterizing this person, this prosperous, easygoing, wicked, or carefree living wicked person, verse 9 through 11, they're arrogant. That's the key descriptor we have here of this person. They're arrogant. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Now, I'm not about to strut for you here. You're thankful for that. But you, you maybe seen somebody strut before. It's the walk of a, of a confident, arrogant, showy kind of person. Strut. That's what their tongues do. Their tongues are strutting as they speak what they want to speak. Especially this, verse 11. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? That's a direct challenge to God. You know this kind of thinking. You've heard this before. A foolish person will say this carelessly and just ignorantly. An atheist would say this openly and defiantly. It's really an ancient question. This is the question of Satan in the garden. Does God really know, Eve? Can God really be trusted? Is it really worth it to follow him? Now, at a certain level, we get the question. This is where our confusion comes in. That's our next movement as we go through this psalm, our confusion. Because you can't deny that things seem to be going well for that wicked person. And on the other hand, there's many righteous people that seem to be suffering. So we say, what's going on? Why doesn't God respond to the challenge of the arrogant and the foolish person? And it doesn't take much sometimes to start wondering in this way, to start doubting God's goodness. Remember the confession from verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel. We can doubt God's goodness because of the regular anxieties and, and difficulties of life. Maybe we have tight finances. A lot of people these days, tight finances. Maybe that does it. Maybe as you think of your work, it's unfulfilling. It feels like a bit of a grind. Could be whether uh, it could be in the workplace or it could be in the home, either way. Perhaps specifically, let's say as a parent within the home, you feel unfulfilled in that. Could lead you to doubt God's goodness. Maybe you have conflict in one of the various relationships that you have in your life. These are regular anxieties, regular challenges. There's also bigger things. You receive devastating news about your health or about the health of a loved one. Maybe there's not just conflict in your relationship, but complete breakdown and estrangement. You look outside of your own life and you look to the world and you see corruption and you see injustice. You see it in public and private institutions. You look at all the different geopolitical events going on that are negative, war being the most obvious one. 
You think of natural disasters, whether floods or fires, we've certainly seen enough of that, even around here. And we look at this world, and we look at our lives, and we can be tempted to think that the wicked might actually be onto something. That's what we see here in verse 10. God's people are taking in the words of the wicked, prosperous people. His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. So we're tempted to ask similar questions then. Why, God? Are you there, God? Do you know? Do you see? And do you care? So this is the psalmist. This is his struggle. If you go back to the beginning of the psalm after his confession that God is good, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And he's envious of the arrogance, the prosperous, the wicked. He's this all leading to a point of crisis, you understand, for the psalmist. Point of crisis. He's, he's wondering, is the path of wisdom even for me? Does it lead to life? Or maybe it's all in vain. Maybe there's no point to following God. Look at verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You see, the proverbial wisdom, I, I mentioned Proverbs is filled with these little short proverbial statements about, you know, um, you, the person who is like this will, you know, this will be the benefit. It's kind of like this action and a reaction or reward, um, a consequence to, you know, your good. You do good and good will come to you. I mean, that's, that's a huge oversimplification, but, but that's kind of the Proverbs, right? Proverbial wisdom, do evil and evil will result. And as an ideal principle, that's true. The Proverbs speak truth. They do. As ideal principles. But in reality, that's not always the case. And this is the struggle, as we think of another wisdom literature book, Job. This is the struggle Job had. Job was as righteous as they come, humanly speaking. And yet he lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And his friends come, and they try to support him, but they can't really. And the reason they can't is they're confused. This principle's not working. Job's a righteous guy and bad things are happening to him. What on earth? What's going on? That's their confusion. And Job shares in this confusion too. And so he questions God. And he says, I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. You have turned against me with cruelty. You harass me with your strong hand. That's Job to the Lord God. He's struggling. What about you? Are you struggling? Some of you are. Maybe with chronic disease or other physical conditions. We just had prayer for the Boss family, the challenges that are there. Maybe some of you have ongoing concerns about your child's lack of faith and obedience. Maybe your grandchild's lack of faith and obedience. Again, maybe you're just dissatisfied with the state of your life. So what do you do? Well, one option is to turn from God, to just throw in the towel, to give in to the cynicism and give up your faith. The psalmist can't do that, right? That option is before him. But verse 15, for one reason, he says, if I said I will speak thus, if I will speak this way, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Right? He has this awareness of the community around him. He has this concern for the, the children of the, the covenant community. He realizes the harm that he could cause them. I mean, imagine if Pastor Phil 
got the youth of this church together and he told them that following God is all for nothing. It's all in vain. How, how harmful would that be? So that, that's not really an option for him for that reason, but also because he knows that God is real. He can't deny it. And the psalmist's heart yearns for God. So if that's not an option, what's he left with? Well, just a silent struggle. Being worried that God has forgotten him in his affliction, questioning God's ability, questioning God's desire to do all things well, doubting his goodness. And verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It's painful. It's excruciating. Ultimately, it's futile. It's like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, yet another book within this wisdom literature section of Scripture. The teacher in Ecclesiastes sees the prosperity of the wicked, and that's the word he comes up with, futile. Life is futile. There's a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. Sometimes we can't figure out the why question as much as we want to. That's why we use the phrase senseless tragedy, because it truly is senseless. You know, we we have in our church... Uh, we have a little girl, she's 10. About six and a half years ago or so, she had a tumor in her brain stem. We also had an, another boy in the church at the same time had a tumor, tumor in his brain. He died. She lived. Things have been going well. The tumor came back. So she's currently going through a, a program of treatment for that, and and obviously we hope that works, and we pray for healing, but but why do these things happen? The world is bent, brothers and sisters, and we can't straighten it. That's a problem that everybody who lives has to wrestle with, but especially the believer, because we believe that God created the world straight, that he created the world good. And we long to see that bentness straightened out, that brokenness removed. And so amid the confusion that we can have in all of these difficult circumstances of life, is there a way forward? Yes. Yes, there is. The path of wisdom is set before us. There is a satisfying answer to the challenge of what happens when the ideal is not the real and the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. And that answer is found in verse 17, which is the turning point to this chapter. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I went into His temple, until I went into His dwelling place or His presence. And so that's the case for the psalmist, and that's the same thing for us as well. It's it's the same truth for us. When we're challenged with the confusion that the brokenness and bentness of this life brings, we need to leave behind the wisdom of the world and enter into the wisdom of the Word. And we do this as we seek His presence. And where is His presence especially found? He is always with us. He's omnipresent. He's never far from us. But He's especially present with us when we gather together to hear His Word preached and and to be filled with His Word through song and prayer and the sacraments. And also, don't forget this, 
when we're meditating on Scripture and praying as individual Christians, or in small groups, or even when we're fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters. His presence is with us in a special way. The presence of His Spirit at work through His Word. That's what you need. That's what we need. That's what this church needs. So are you struggling? Does life seem too much for you? Are you questioning, again, God's ability and His desire to do all things well, His goodness? Well, don't stay away. Don't withdraw, first of all, from the worship service of God's people. And don't withdraw from the fellowship that can be had with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't dismiss the possibility of participating in one of those care groups that were just mentioned earlier. Right? Whether you're gathering for prayer, studying the Bible, or just fellowship, sometimes we can say, well, that, that's too much for me. I'm struggling right now. But you need those things. In your struggle, you need those things. Same thing with personal devotional time. There's no rule about how to do it and how much, but brother or sister, you need it. And especially if you're struggling, you need it. So don't give up on setting aside that time for personal meditation on Scripture and speaking with your Heavenly Father. Because the Spirit of Christ is present in all of these things that we've mentioned, and He will give you what you need to discern the truth about how things really are and to have hope for the future. And that's true because God's Word points us to Christ. Jesus is the center and fulfillment of the Word of God. He, he is the Word who became flesh and made His dwelling among us so that we might dwell forever with Him in His sanctuary. Let's use that word. That we might have life forever, in other words, in the new creation. That's where we're headed. Which is the temple kingdom of our great high priest and king. That's what the Bible is ultimately all about. The story of the Bible is not... A story about following God's commands so that good will come to you in this life. Some kind of tit-for-tat relationship between righteousness and prosperity. It's not what it's about. Now, the story of the Bible is a story of a God who loves His creation. And He's working to make all things new so that the current brokenness will be removed. And this world will be whole. And it will be well. And then notice this. With you in it. With us in it with us as the recipients of a, a glorious and joy-filled future. That's our end. That's our destiny. This is what the psalmist understands now. Verse 17, When I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. First he speaks of the wicked. He's, he's able to discern rightly uh, that the wicked's end is not prosperous. Though he once almost stumbled and slipped, verse 2, now he realizes, verse 18 onward, they're the ones who are going to stumble and fall. And verse 20 is kind of an interesting verse in terms of the language and the translation. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. What on earth is that saying? Well, it's just saying that the wicked may think there's something now, but, but their that their prosperity is something, but one day reality is going to hit them. And then they'll only be a shadow of their former selves, like a phantom, like a ghost, just a shadow. Or we could say like a footprint in the sand that gets washed away with the tide, or, or a vapor in the wind, or like the fading beauty of a flower, so impressive one moment, but so fragile. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. So it is with the wicked and their prosperity. It will come to nothing. 
Scripture says in another place that God is enduring the wicked and their prosperity with great patience, but they are objects of wrath ready for destruction. It's heavy language, but it's, it's true language. And yet the good news is that we are the objects of His mercy. And we are being readied not for destruction, but for glory. And so in this we can stand firm. We will stand firm in the goodness of God. And so we have just an amazing piece here, verse 23 onward. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, that's written by the psalmist who only knows the promises of God in in shadowy form, right? But we know it with greater clarity. We know that Christ Jesus is the way to glory. He is the wise and the righteous one who assures us that God is indeed good to us, and He will work out all things for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And then that purpose, that that purpose is a glorious, joy-filled future with Christ Jesus. This we know. This is our confession. And so as we begin to close, brothers and sisters, in your crisis, you need to understand who Christ is. If that's a helpful phrase for you, memorize it. In your crisis, you need to understand who Christ is. Because this will make all the difference to how you will handle the confusion of the challenges of this world. This will determine your end, whether you are in Christ or not. Notice the end of Psalm 73 is such a stark contrast. Verse 27, there are those who are far from you, they shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Kind of reminds me of the end of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 ends this way. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. On the one hand, wrath and destruction. But on the other hand, refuge and blessing. And this is why the Proverbs say repeatedly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. True wisdom is found in knowing Him, in rightly fearing God the Lord with the awe and wonder that we have for Him as the Creator of the universe, and then also in knowing Christ Jesus as our Savior and our friend, as our brother and our King. One more from the Proverbs for you, Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. So run to Him, beloved. Embrace Him for all that He is and and for all that He offers you. Give your heart to Him. Find the path of wisdom in Him. And then find life in Him. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Father in heaven, truly you are good to your people. In fact, you are good to your creation. You look upon all that you have made with compassion. And you give so much in terms of common grace that allows this world to persist. And yet, Lord, 
There is a time coming for judgment and wrath, for destruction, for the removal of all that is bent and broken and twisted and evil, for the utter defeat of the evil one. And so we look upon that, and and a part of us has some trepidation, but only a small part. For, Lord, then we look to you, and we have confidence and joy and hope and even longing for that day because of Jesus, because of what you have done for us in him. And so we praise you for him, Father, the man who is pure in heart, the one who makes us pure, so that we will be able to stand before you on that day. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We long to see your face even now. And yet here we are living this life, this journey that you have given us, called to walk the path which is different from person to person and yet also similar. Help us to walk by faith, given that we cannot walk by sight. Help us to take refuge in you. Help us to run to you, to give our hearts to you and not to the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride that one might have in their life or their possessions. No, rather help us to love you, to love meeting with you and and worshiping with your people, and every day to love praising you for your work of salvation in Christ. For we confess that you are the one who will set us on high ground. You are the one who will lead us on level paths, and you will never allow our feet to slip. Thank you 